Welcome to the Property Nomads podcast. And here is your host, Rob Smallbone. Welcome to the second part in this mini-series about interviewing successful people in property. Delighted to be joined today by Kim Raines. Kim's a local property investor who's been investing and working in the whole property market for the past 10 years. She bought her first HMO, so House Multiple Occupation, in 2009 at the age of just 23. In 2016, Kim left her role as lettings manager for one of the large national firms to focus on managing her own investments and has since gone on to establish The Online Landlord, which is a local agent specialising in HMO management, along with complementary sourcing and refurbishment companies. Kim, it's an absolute pleasure and thank you for taking time out of your day to be here. Oh, thank you for asking me to be here, Rob. You've got a, a wealth of knowledge and a plethora of knowledge from different things related to property. What got you in investing in the first place? Um, so, I after I graduated, I went to work for um, a local estate agent. And we set up a lettings arm to that estate agent whilst I was there. And I think it was the interest in seeing the lettings process and I suppose as well seeing the money that the investors were making from their their buy to lets. Um, I think I think that was what initially sort of attracted me to it really. A lot of people are gonna be listening to this so we're gonna go back to that start and go, wow, twenty-three buying the first property. Mm-hmm. Many people I speak to, I don't know about yourself, are getting into investing at quite a later stage yeah, yeah. in life. So did you feel when you were twenty three and you went to buy your first property that it just felt like the right thing to do at the time? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean the market then was quite different to what it what it is now. Obviously it was just after the, the crash and um, property prices were fairly cheap. Um, the first house that I bought was a repossession so, and, and because there was no sort of Article 4 area around the university in Hull at that time, um, I literally just bought a, a repossession um, family home, swapped it up, put four students in it and, and away I went so it was really straightforward. Um, I think as well that it didn't feel like there was a big risk involved in that ta- at that time because I was still living at home with my parents. Um, so worst case scenario, I bought the house, I couldn't let it, I could still afford the mortgage on it. Um, so it, it just it just seemed like, like the right thing to do. And to be honest, I think at the time, I, I, I didn't overthink it because I, I was... Um, quite naive I think I think I thought it would be fairly straightforward and yeah I didn't I didn't give it too much thought really. How did you find the the process for again first straight to HMOs mm. um, many people go down this little traditional buy to let route yeah first obviously you're born and bred in Hull so you know the area yeah inside out it's a very long-winded question but I'll get around to the question <laughs> but how, how did you find the overall experience from doing your first one? Um, I, I suppose because I hadn't long been graduated, I and I'd been living in student accommodation myself. I think I probably thought that I had a reasonable idea as to what a student would want. So I think that would I, I was fairly confident on what they might look for, um, the, the standard it needed to be. Um, so so that that sort of gave, gave me confidence initially. Um, 
it took me an awful lot longer to sort the house out than I thought it would. I had no experience refurbing a property. It was a repossession. It was really run down. Um, I bought it and thought that it would probably take a few months and it, it, it took 10, uh, 10 months for us to sort it out. Um, I didn't really have the budget to do it either. So it, it turned into a bigger project than I initially thought, but it, it didn't. I didn't lose too much sleep over it, it just, just got cracking and as soon as it was finished I, I put tenants in, um, it coincided with the you know, September starting date for the students and yeah, put four students in and away I went. When you said obviously the project took a lot longer, mm-hmm. have you just met any, any specific examples of what you hadn't accounted for that happened? Um, probably pretty much everything to be honest. <laughs> I thought that I would be able to paint it in a few days um, and obviously it took weeks. Um, I I didn't really, to be honest, have an idea of the cost of anything either. So, um, yeah, I just thought, oh, you know, it needs a new, a new bathroom and it needs a bit of new decoration. And then obviously once I started looking into it a bit more, once I owned it, I realised that a lot of the windows were rotten. Um, there was a downstairs toilet that didn't have a sink in it, so to be compliant, I needed to to get plumbing in for a sink. Um, oh, just all, all sorts of things that that occurred that I probably hadn't foreseen. Um, quite a lot of like electrical work needed doing. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was a great experience, and it was a massive a massive learning curve. And yeah, it's made me in future I was a lot more careful budgeting things before I actually made any offers. <laughs> you live and learn. <laughs> We've all got to start somewhere. Absolutely. I, I, mean, I, remember buying, um, I remember buying the first buy to let uh, a few years ago back in 2016 and we're doing, um, the guys were doing the works on it and um, what we hadn't accounted for was the um, couple of the joists were a bit bouncy and we hadn't quite accounted yeah. for that at, at the start. Nothing major. Yeah. But <laughs> I remember this big hefty unit of a, a guy going in he was trying to fix something on the ladder and went through the floorboards oh my word um, straight into <laughs> straight into everything you know underneath um, luckily it was okay to be fair he found a funny side of it um so yeah my lesson learned from that was number one check the joist yeah uh, number two um yeah don't get massive units of trades people in no yeah look, look 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 for the slighter ones yeah yeah but uh, hey um it is it is what it is and if you're a big trades person I'll probably just offended you so I apologise <laughs> uh, for that so a lot of experience on the first one yeah how then did you walk after that project was done yeah how long did you leave for it until you bought your second one um poor good question probably about a, a year I would say I think when when we did the first one so when I say we it was it's myself and my partner and um, I think we were optimistic, we were hopeful that it would work, but we were still a little surprised when we did move four tenants in and it went exactly according to plan. So there was a little bit of time where I think we just sat back and thought, actually, is, is this has this been as easy as we thought in terms of um, finding tenants, um, just getting used to managing it, I suppose, as well. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so I, think, I think we waited about a year and then and then we had an offer accepted on another property um, and, and went from there. And again, the second one was another family let, um, just put up a stud wall, separated out the uh, lounge diner and an, another little four-bed shooter property. So, 
yeah, it was uh, got got us started and and got us on a bit of a roll, really. That's good. And uh, about million dollar question to an extent, how many do you have nowadays? Um, so at the moment we've got 11, um, 11 HMOs. Um, I am in the process of selling a couple though, so I will have slightly less. But yeah, at the moment we've uh, got 11. So it works out on average just over one a year, nice and consistent, nothing too ridiculous, yeah. just that consistency mm-hmm. creeping in. And you found that that's benefited yourself and your partner over time. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we've not bought any HMOs for the last four years, so we, we've got a probably averaged a couple a year after the first year um, and as you say it was nice and steady so we, we didn't rush it we and the thing was as well because they were they were making profit it meant that we could um, just quite comfortably reinvest um, what they'd made and, and also gave us a chance to get some other funds together just to keep expanding the portfolio um, and then in the last few years we've been focusing more on uh, flips so that's that's kept us busy as well some of the flipping strategy yeah. see that's not residual income, you get chunks of money, basically. Absolutely, yeah. So is that being accumulated to then go on to possibly bigger projects further on down the line? Yeah, absolutely. So the idea with that is that at the moment we're, we're doing fairly straightforward uh, flips. So there have been some terraced houses. At the moment we're working on a nice three-bed detached bungalow um, out towards Malton. So they're fairly, you know, they're nothing too complicated but just yeah gathering up some money from each one that we do banking it and then hopefully moving on to some bigger bigger projects okay, well, i just proved uh, well goes to show that having that consistency in that time in in property really does bear fruit it's not necessarily about going you know hell for leather and getting 10 properties yeah. in the first year sometimes it's equally sensible if not more sensible to take your time learn from your experiences as you've done and just keep building and building and building yeah absolutely that's it I mean I, I don't think I ever viewed it as a sort of a, a get rich quick scheme it was something that um, I had a genuine I have a genuine interest in property I was working in estate and letting agencies so it was more something that complemented what I already did rather than a, a master plan or it, it's obviously worked out really well and it's enabled me to you know, do, do what I want to do, but um, initially it was just I had an interest in it, and I knew I could probably make some money from it. So it, it kind of just fitted in with what I did already. No, that's that's absolutely that's absolutely perfect. Sometimes it's turning that, you know, having that you know, passion about something and just utilising yeah those experiences, which is which is really really good. In terms of your estate agency background and letters agency background, yes. obviously you've got the online landlord yeah. at the moment that's been created quite recently doing really, really well. Yeah, going going well. Um, yeah, got got plenty of new landlords on because I'd been managing, obviously, my own properties, looking after the flips um, and, and looking after some properties for friends, but... I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was particularly driving it. In fact, I was being asked to look after property for the people that I was turning down, um, and I thought, actually, do you know what? I enjoy it. Um, th- there's an opportunity here, and you know, hopefully, offering a good service to landlords. I've, I've got good local experience, local knowledge. So uh, yeah, I thought maybe there's a bit of a gap in the market that I could uh, capitalise on, really. And how um, to date at the time of recording, how have you been able to grow your business? To be honest, the majority of it um, has been referrals. So it's been word of mouth recommendations um, through networking um, and existing landlords recommend me to other landlords. 
Um, and then I think as well over the last few months, I've been getting quite a bit uh, a bit of interest through my website as well. So I redid my website. Um, it, it, it ranks it, it ranks number one now for um, HMO management hall. So I'm, I'm also getting inquiries through that. So mainly organic, well, I suppose to say mainly, it sounds like 100% organic growth. Yeah, it has been absolutely. I mean, the, the networking that I do, I do quite proactively. So I'm at networking events every week. Um, so I do try and, and drive my, my networking um, and, and the recommendation side of things. But it, it has, it's happened quite naturally. Um, yeah. I suppose having, start, say, starting investing in 2009 mm-hmm. and your previous experiences with estate agencies and lens agencies, your reputation as well as an individual has helped to get to this stage as well because people are still going to know you from five, six, seven, ten years ago, aren't they? Yeah, thank you. I hope so. Um, and I, th- I think that is that is the case. And I think as well um, that that's probably helped with the, the flips and also the, the sourcing of properties for other people because I have still got contacts with the estate agents. Um, you know, I, I see, I see the girls that I've worked with socially I'm, I'm, I still have very good relationships with them the same with solicitors and things as well so I think that's definitely been advantageous from an investor point of view because we first met on a viewing didn't we yeah, we've just yeah. kept in contact since then which has been great in you know, properties of people business without a shadow of a doubt from from working in, in an estate agency what would you say your pet hates are when dealing specifically with investors Sure. Um, so I think with investors, I know when I read um, on forums and things, there's a lot of talk about how to best approach estate agents. Um, and often it's recommended that you, you make yourself known to them. So you go into the branch, you sit down, you have a cup of coffee or you know whatever, chat to them. I think the reality is when you're actually working in an estate agent, if it's a good estate agent, you are busy. I think it's a bit of a misconception that what you want as an estate agent is investors that are looking for exactly the same thing as all the other investors that you speak to all day every day to come in, sit in the branch and chat away for half an hour about the exact criteria of what they're looking for. Um, And I think that you do, you know, when I was working in the estate agent, you did used to get that. And obviously the phone's ringing, you've got contractors coming in to pick up keys, you've got offers sitting in your notebook that you've not been able to deal with because people are coming in and, and chatting away. I think probably the, there is a, a better way to to communicate with, with estate agents and just to make yourself known in, in a, initially I would say you're probably better um, giving them a ring and asking to view something that they actually have available. Um, and then turn up on time to the viewing, being positive at the viewing, giving feedback, um, probably not making ridiculous offers that are going to insult your vendors that you then have to deal with. Um, and I think as well, you know, what, once you've made that initial contact, popping into the branch, you know, taking in, if you, if you, you know, you do have opportunity to, to pop in for some reason, you know, taking some chocolates or a bottle of wine, say thank you for something. But yeah, I don't, it was a pet peeve when you'd have people come in and just go into immense detail about the exact requirements of the property that they're looking for as an investor. Um, I think as an estate agent, you feel that your job is more to advertise a property and it's the investor's job to search through 
the properties and find out if there's something that's suitable for them. Um, I'm not going to remember a conversation with one individual person where they go on about the room sizes of the properties that they need or, you know, uh, it, how many bathrooms it has. It's just not viable. So um, I, th- I think it's probably, as an investor, you do have to be quite quite proactive. So you would rather, so if someone did come in, you'd rather a couple of minutes, maybe, yes. maybe get given a hunting brief of, yeah. I'm looking for X, Y, Z, if someone rings you up yeah. and their first words are, I'm an investor, yeah. does that automatically, do you automatically get this perception of what they're, what they're going to be after or, or whatnot? Do you get this sort of negative vibe if the first words are, I'm an investor? I don't think, he, I'd say necessarily negative. I think probably you bring to mind maybe a type of property that they might be looking for, um, maybe an area. So I think it's useful for somebody to state that they are an investor. Um, I, I think probably if I was... If I was going to go about trying to make contacts from a starting point with an estate agent, what I would probably do is find a find a specific property, call up about it, organise to view it. Um, the agent, if if they're a decent agent, they'll probably ask you to come into branch to see the mortgage advisor. Um, even if you're not buying with a mortgage or you already have a mortgage lender, I would take them up on it because it's an opportunity to go into branch when they're expecting you. They'll probably have time in the diary. Um, they'll be able to qualify you so then the the agents know that you are a serious investor you are able to proceed with their offers um so I, I would do that i think that's a good way to get your foot in the door with the estate agent say hello um and then yeah i'd, I'd probably as i say just make sure that you, you you react you know you're reactive to to the opportunities that you're given i know when when you mentioned on your um your, your previous podcast about your power team and you said about estate agents and mentioned that i think if you do get offered a property or you do have an offer accepted just making sure you move quickly on it because you probably if you don't you'll not you'll not get a first bite of it again and they'll move on to somebody else that you know that, that can move quickly on something did that happen quite a lot when you were yes yeah it did you, you'd get situations where um you know you'd have people um making offers on, on on stock and then if something was accepted they'd end end up actually in the meantime whilst the offer's been negotiated they've had an offer accepted on something else and then they come back and say actually i've had an offer accepted elsewhere i'm not going to proceed with the property um or I said, told you I was a cash buyer, but I'm actually not. I'm buying the mortgage. It's all those little things that I think it's probably best to just be upfront um, and, and avoid. I think as well. I think sometimes it's a bit of a misconception that um, estate agents will think if you're a cash buyer that you, you know, you're consider- a considerably better buyer than somebody buying with a mortgage. I don't. I, I don't think that that is necessarily the case. I, I, I don't think as an estate agent you would accept necessarily or you would advise your your vendor to accept a lower offer of cash than you would somebody that's buying with a mortgage um so yeah i think uh, yeah you do get quite a lot of time wasters in short to answer the question (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting what you say about about cash buyers and in terms of accepting lower Mm -hmm. lower amounts because the perception that a lot of people will have is you know if i've got cash i've got it there is good Absolutely. to go. Absolutely, yeah. In 14, 28 days or whatever. Yeah. Especially for limited companies at the moment, it's two, three months, maybe four. I think I recently spoke to someone. And it took them ten months. Gosh. So really, yeah. So even from that point of view, if someone needs to move quick, yeah. 
and you're in that position, would you then advise that they go with a cash offer for the necessity of that speed? I think, yeah, I think it would depend if that investor was known to you. So if you knew that they had the funds in place, um, perhaps if you've dealt with them before and you knew that, yes, they were bridging or they were getting a mortgage, um, but that they would do it quickly, um, you, you would still consider that offer with some serious weight. I don't, it's a tricky one because in reality, the, the amount of people that are in a situation where they're desperate to move, um, and that would override the fact that they would be looking for more monies is relatively slim. Um, a lot of the time if people have got themselves into a situation where they are prepared to accept less money because they're desperate to sell, they're possibly past the point of being up for sale on a standard estate agent's window. Um, obviously not all the time, they aren't, you know, that that's that's a bit of a generalisation, but a lot of the time you've got general sellers and they want as much out of the property as they can. Um, they'll either be moving on or they'll, they'll want capital out of the property. So I think, um, yeah, probably having cash doesn't necessarily carry as much weight as, as you might think from an estate agent's point of view. Well, that's, that's interesting to get that perspective, mm. to be to be perfectly honest. is uh, say nine times out of ten you hear, well, we know cash is king. Oh, definitely, and this and that, absolutely. So it's good to get perspective yeah. completely differently. In terms of finishing with all your estate agency work, was yeah. there a particular reason why you decided to leave that field of, of work? Yes, I would say probably. So um, in so about three, three and a half years ago when I, I left working uh, for an estate agent, I was completing on three properties um, within a couple of months of each other. And that would have taken me to 10 properties, to 10, 10 multi-lets. And I was self-managing all of them. Um, and working at stage, and generally it's fairly long hours, it was six days a week, and it just wasn't viable that I could continue to work in the role I was doing um, and self-managed properties. So it was a bit of a decision in terms of, did I want to employ someone else to manage my properties for me or and carry on working, or did I want to manage my own properties? And as we know, I'm a little bit of a control freak, so I was never going to ask someone else to manage my properties for me. So, um, yeah, it just I suppose it was sort of the combination of what I've been working towards, really, you know, the the option to not have to work for someone else if I didn't want to. Talking about control freak, we, we laugh we laugh about that, so we've, we've known each other quite, quite a while, and, yeah, we could have a, a little joke about that. But it, but not just that, there are quite a lot of advantages for self-managing property Anyway, what advantages have you found from your lettings experience and then from managing your own properties? What what would you say to anyone that would be looking to self-manage their own HMOs? Um, I think the advantages to me have probably been that um, it means that I have a really good grasp of what's going on at the properties. Um, I think the key is you've, you've got to enjoy it and I do. It gives me opportunity to meet the tenants um, and, and I love property so I get to see in, in the houses. It means I, I get to view stuff if I'm looking at buying something else um, and, and I, I like doing it. So it, it, it's yeah, it works well because I, I, I like spending my time doing that. I think probably the disadvantages is, is extremely time consuming or it can be especially with HMOs. Um, so it's 
what what interests you know what interests you but it, it does definitely give you an advantage you can see the properties you can identify quickly what needs doing you can rectify it you can build that relationship with the tenant so if you need something from them you know maybe letting in a contractor or whatever it may be I, I've done it before where I've turned up on a viewing and I've forgotten a key to the property um, you know in, but you can bring a tenant and ask can they pop back just let you in you, you know all, all sorts of things if you've got that relationship with the tenants it, it does Oh, it has made it, it's made it easier for myself anyway. Well, as you say in your own words, maybe a bit of a, you know, a control freak as well. If you know you're in charge of your operations and what's going on, that'll make your life easier and you enjoy doing it. So that's a win-win. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. That That's the thing for me. And the reality of the situation is because what I do is manage properties. And when I was working at a letting agency, that's what I did. So the choice wasn't whether or not I did something different or managed properties. The choice was, did I manage my own properties or did I manage someone else's properties? Um, so either way, I was going to be managing houses. Um, and I think for me, I'd probably prefer, or I definitely would prefer to manage my own than, than someone else's. So it was a fairly it was a fairly easy choice for me, really. Well, to be fair, you do, you do a cracking job of it because you're always Thank from... You. Uh, and I say that because you've got one of our, you know, bite lets at the moment. Yeah. You yeah. might end up getting, you know, more who knows. But you're very thorough. You enjoy doing what you do. You're whole born and bred with no, although, although you've got desires to go and do many, many a thing in the world mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. You know, yeah. at the moment you're looking at concentrating and building your business. Absolutely. And yeah. you actively enjoy being in and around Hull. So, yes. yeah, that's advantageous. And unusual. Well, everyone's... <laughs> Yeah, I do. Well, I love Hull and I think it's a great place to invest and it, it's worked well for me so I, I couldn't say anything negative about it to somebody else that's looking at investing in Hull really. No, not, I want to go and drive a tank as well so it's, no, uh, it's not, yeah. that's not everyone's cup of tea <laughs> to be honest I'd love nothing more than driving up and down the A63 in a Sherman that would be brilliant <laughs> yeah so prepared I'm looking forward to seeing that yeah. one day one day one day it will happen yeah. it needs to be road worthy that's a different uh, by the way that's, that's a completely different story with all your experience in, in self-managing the amount of time that you've been involved in in managing and in property in general, there's been quite a few changes in rules and regulations. You mentioned Article been. Four at the start. Yeah. HMO regulations have, have got tighter. Yeah. Probably for the better, in all fairness. Absolutely, I fully agree. Yeah. What What things have you seen over the last ten years that have helped to improve um, the market and the safety of of, of multi let HMO properties? Yeah, sure. So I mean, I think a bit of a mixed bag to be honest, because. Um, Obviously, in, in in the whole area, there is there is an Article Four um, directive. So, in in certain areas now, you can't if a property's not been let as a multi let prior to October twenty thirteen, you can't just let it as a multi let now. So, th- that's changed things quite dramatically. So, it's okay if it, or it's good. It was good if you already owned properties within the Article Four area because I would say probably the values were pushed up slightly because there was limited supply of them, um, and that meant that. Probably um, the levels are slightly more controlled. Um, you know that the stock was probably relatively good, good quality. Um, I think the more recent changes where um, now everything that's over four bedrooms needs a license. Um, I think again that's just served to improve things. Um, you know that the quality of stock again will be better. Everything will be compliant. I think the difficulty with the Article Four. Directive is that especially in Hull, in the areas where that is close to the university, where there are typically a lot of students, it's 
a quite a nice area. There's a lot of bars, shops. Um, it's quite a vibrant area. And of course, that comes specifically really because there are students there. So in my own personal opinion, to, to limit the amount of students um, will arguably not necessarily be a positive thing for the reasons that make that area good. So it's quite a nice area to live in now, even if you're not a student. Um, you know, in the last 15 years, that area's changed dramatically and it is because there is people there with money to spend. They can go to the restaurants, the shops. Um, and, and so, yeah, I don't know how quite that'll pan out. Um, I won't be surprised if there's possibly um, closures of, of certain, you know, bars, restaurants and things like that, because there arguably be less, less people living there that will uh, frequent them. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Especially with the things that are happening on campus at the whole university as well. The, Absolutely, of course. The student blocks being being dropped. So yeah. just for clarification purposes, so Article Four is is that directive way rather than automatically yes. being able to convert from again from C three residential to C four HMO. Yeah. You now have to go through plan. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so historically, you could have bought any property in say the HU5 area, so the area around the university, and you could have changed it from a family let to a multi-let. And yeah, now you, you do have to take it through through planning. So it's it, it's a lot more tricky to, to do. Yeah, it doesn't make it it doesn't make it impossible. No, it, um, doesn't, no. it just makes it more of a challenge and you know that's just whole some I think from experience, Oxford has a blanket article four so around the whole city. Yeah. Some places will have them, some places won't have them. It's always worth checking with your local council. Absolutely, yeah, for the, the local local area and regulations. And then in terms of recent changes in HMO regulations, yeah. again, that was taken. So previously it was five or more tenants across three, three or more, more stories. stories, but the government have taken away the stories bit. So you can have two, you can have a flat with five or more unrelated people, which yeah. is forming two or more families. And you need a license, basically. Absolutely, you need a license. Yeah, that's right. So, um, I mean, I think probably quite a lot of landlords that were operating, um, let's say, five people living over two floors, would still be doing it to the regulations. They would still be, um, you know, ensuring that they were compliant should they need a license. But I think probably for a lot of people, there have been a few changes that they may need to have, have made to the properties, and it's, it, it'll be better for safety and and such like. Yeah, but I shout that. I mean, yeah, a lot of people complain that, you know, that the government are changing this, the government are changing that, and, you know, whatnot, you know, regulations are getting tired. But mm-hmm. uh, as you say, it should improve the, the, the quality of stock yeah, throughout the UK. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. The only, the, only, the only sort of thought I have um, against that is I think, I think to a degree there's possibly slight overkill with the uh, I don't this might not be a popular thought but with say the students or the professional lets and the degree to which you have to kick the properties out in order to um, protect them versus say so say if I bought a house and I was going to put five students in it um, I would have to have absolutely everything done to that property that could possibly be imagined in terms of fire safety regs a risk assessment um you know main security smoke detectors so on and so forth yet if i let a house to a mother with three young children i wouldn't have to go to the same to the nth degree to protect them safety wise and i could still let that house to them and be compliant and i think it's a slightly 
uh, on, not odd, but it's an interesting thing that we perceive students or young professionals to maybe be more vulnerable and require a higher level of protection than we do, say, a young family. Um, it, it, it's a, it's the way it is, but I think I think it's a, an interesting way that it's it's set up really. Probably explains why the government are in the process of proposing mandatory electrical testing in, yes. in your regular bytelets. Absolutely. Maybe as a result. So maybe they've yeah. been listening to you. Maybe, maybe. Absolutely, because, you know, for a family let at the moment, um, you do have to have a gas safety certificate. Yeah. But as you say, it's not, not mandatory to have the electrical certificate. The electrics have to be safe, but you can prove that in, in you know, in your own way that you choose. Um, so, yeah, I think I think probably they may be trying to align them slightly more. Yeah, and going back to, going back to HMOs as, as well as something that people do get quite confused with quite regularly is planning and licensing so they're two different departments completely different completely different departments so if you've got hmo licensing i.e uh, you know a five bed hmo so forth you need to go to your hmo licensing manager absolutely and get that story if you happen yeah. to have an article four area yes. and you're looking to convert, <laughs> you need to go through planning completely yeah. different department and nine times out of ten they don't speak to each other no absolutely and you'd have to go even if you went through through planning um and and it was granted that you could swap the property from a family let to um a, a multi-let you would still then need to meet the requirements for the license and make your license application through the online license portal so yeah com- completely separate things and then you've got your license requirements, which you just touched on. That. I mean, yeah. that could be, you know, X, Y, Z, obviously your, mm-hmm. your gas safety, your electrical yeah. safety, EPC, Absolutely. as well, fire safety, yeah. testing as well. Fire risk assessment, yeah. Then you've also got your HMO rules and regulations, for things, the Acts 2006, 2007. Yeah. So they're 10 completely different things. Absolutely. That you need to adhere to. So can you touch yeah. on a couple of them, possibly? Yeah, sure. So the fairly simple things such as say for example just displaying in the the hallway um, all of your contact details uh, making sure all the certificates are displayed and and things as well that you a lot of it's common sense you know just making sure that um, hostels and landing you know fire escape routes and things are clear Um, and I think that's why in a way it's important when you do choose a managing agent that it's somebody that is going to visit the property regularly because the only way well not the only way but probably the main way that you're going to ensure that the tenants aren't doing anything that there shouldn't be such as stopping bikes in the hallway or that the notice board or the items have been taken off the notice board and there's now photos of nights out up on there is if you visit the properties and check and, and see them um so yeah i, th- I think it's, it's it's important just to to make sure your agents do do that you've got quite a well you've got another good way of being able to have an extra set of eyes on tenants as well haven't you in terms of part of uh, the online landlord and any self, self-managing sending cleaners around. Absolutely. So you get your cleaners to have a, 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 a quick look at what's going on as well, don't you? We do, absolutely. So we, we tend to use the same cleaner for the majority of our um, our properties and they, they're absolutely great. So they will feed back to me if anything um, is going on at the property that maybe sh- shouldn't be in terms you know not that the tenants are doing anything wrong or like spying on the tenants as such but just say like if the um there's bins overflowing or people aren't storing food in containers and it you know there might be mice drains that might be becoming blocked and um, just just little things or leaving reports of back like um 
you know, you, you're running out of uh, Hoover bags in that particular faucet. <laughs> it could be anything, uh, but it, it's good to, to have that extra pair of eyes. There, obviously, they spend several hours there um, every week or every fortnight, so they'll, they'll potentially pick up on things that you know you, you might not always see just popping in to, to do the fire checks and such like. That's important. And do you find that because you manage bicyclets as well? Absolutely, yeah. So do you find that if you've got a bicyclet with you know a, a family and then you've got a five bed HMO or modular? Yeah. Do you then find that that modular takes five times much work or it's relatively easy to, to, to leverage some of that aspect? Um, I wouldn't say it necessarily takes five times as much work, but it definitely takes considerably more time. Um, I think the advantage potentially with the the family lets is that you may get a really good couple or individual or family in there and they could be there for a number of years and they can cause you nearly no hassle whatsoever and um, so you can do a routine visit um, and just keep your eye on the property but they'll treat it as though it's their own home if you have say a professional HMO and you've got seven individual people in that property you, you're not going to find yourself in the situation where you don't hear from them for months on end um you know you, you might be lucky if you get a few days without someone saying the light bulbs <laughs> not working or the washing machine smells funny or so, whatever it might be um so they, they are considerably more work the hmos how do you manage all of those properties and all of those tenants do you have a, a special crm system do you use whatsapp yeah, so um, I have have a lady that, to be honest, that generally deals with all of my my repairs and maintenance issues for me. So I don't tend to get too too bogged down with them myself. So what happens is we we set up a WhatsApp group for each individual house. So it means that, say for example, if something goes wrong in the communal area. Um, we don't get it reported five or six separate times, depending on how many uh, tenants there are there. It gets reported once to the group WhatsApp. Everybody can see it's been reported and get updates on the progress of that repair. And yeah, we have management software that we enter it into and, and follow it through with. Um, so really just liaising with, between the tenants, the contractors, the landlord, and, and getting that issue sorted. So from self-managing point of view, not that I self-manage, but I'm you know, sure there's going to be many people listening that do self-manage. Mm-hmm. If they haven't already thought of it, then your advice would be actually set up a WhatsApp group. Definitely. Because that makes life a lot easier. Absolutely. It's something that, to be honest, we've only, I've probably only done over the last six or eight months. Um, it was, in fact, a tip I got off another um, lady that was managing properties, uh, managing multi-lets, and she said, oh, this is a great way to, to do it. Um, and it, it definitely makes life a lot, a lot easier. And it, it's just that transparency for the tenants as well. Um, they can see what, what's going on with the, the repairs and you can update them easily. Well, as you say, it saves things being reported yes. multiple times, which is going to yeah. save yourself a headache and also the tenants. Absolutely. As well, I think that would drive me insane if I had five separate people... <laughs> <laughs> takes me to say a light bulb's gone that yeah absolutely it, it can it can be a bit of a nightmare so the, the whatsapp group i would definitely recommend i think i think that's a great way to do it in terms of the online landlord and where it is now and where it's moving forward where yeah i mean the government again as at, or at the time of recording if i can get my own words out that would be <laughs> useful so at the time mm-hmm. of recording the government have just said that from the first of june 2019 there's going to be a ban on lettings agents fees and charges yes i think bar the deposit which you can take up to a certain uh, amount i'm not too sure how how's that going to affect 
the online landlord and and yourself moving forward? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think for myself and probably for other letting agents um, and, and landlords as well, you do you do take in an application fee. A lot of a lot of us do take an application fee um, to cover the work that is done in preparing the documents and such like for, for a tenancy to begin. So it might be credit check, referencing, um, drawing up a tenancy agreement, drawing up an inventory, checking procedures, so on and so forth. So the, because there is a degree of work, that's a fairly time-consuming job for somebody in your team to do there is a price that's needed to cover that time um and i, I think if the you know in the the fee bank comes in that work is still going to be done by by the agents and and the cost of that's going to have to be covered somehow so i think the the chances are that um that the landlords are potentially going to need to cover it um obviously some some letting agents may, may be able to take the hit and, and that that's a an individual business choice. I'm sure for some they'll they'll reflect that in, in the prices to charge the landlords, um, because as I said that there is there is work to be done for that. Um, I, I think to be honest, overall, you know, with the potential fee ban and the increased regulations, there, there are more costs now to landlords than there's probably ever been, and I think the reality of that is that will uh, probably be reflected in in, in slight increase in rents to, to cover that. Um, I know we, we've talked about it before and the easiest way for a landlord to claw back that 50 quid or whatever it might be extra that they're going to be charged is to, to add you know a few quid on to the, the rent every week or month. Um, so I, I, th- I think it's been introduced obviously so that the tenants don't actually have to pay the, the application fee but I wouldn't be surprised if in a roundabout way they end up having to pay it anyway. I mean, the, the scary thing with this, before I get on my political high horse, is that whoever's writing said policies, I just don't think of the end result because what you've just said, uh, again, this is you know first time for you with letting agent, is it's quite possible that as a result of all this being introduced, that you might then increase um, your management percentage to you know cover those costs absolutely fine nothing wrong with that at all mm-hmm. but if that cost then gets passed on to landlords and other ladies yeah uh, again as you've highlighted nine times out of ten they're going to look to increase that rent absolutely to cover their costs yeah and if they do that or when they do that then who takes a hit at the end of the day it's going to be you know the tenant because yeah. that extra 10 15 25 quid you know it may or may it may or may not make such a big difference mm-hmm. yeah, that could be the difference between them being able to you know, stay there and not yeah. stay there. So Absolutely. The, the scary thing is that we could end up with, you know, a massive, or you know, rent increases across the board and more people that aren't able to pay for, to pay their rent, which could end up with a more of a social burden further on down the line, which is more, you yeah. know, money out of the taxpayer pocket, which doesn't make sense. No, absolutely. And I think probably as well, um, for- Say for myself, I, I charge a, um, an application fee normally of, of 50 quid. So it's it's not a huge amount. Um, and, you know, for a tenant to find 50 quid to apply for a property, I don't think it's an un- unreasonable request, in my opinion. Um, the likelihood is that if I have that discussion with the landlord once the fee bank comes in and say, look, right, I'm, I'm going to have to charge you an extra £50 setup fee to, to, cover, uh, to cover the cost of that work, they may well turn around and say, okay, well, let's ask for an extra 10 quid a month in rent, which of course is more than double the actual application fee that I would have been charging them. So that tenant might pay, well, in that instance, would pay 120 quid extra a year in rent, 
but they would save 50 quid by not paying the fee. So I suspect that there's the potential that they could actually be worse off rather than better. It wouldn't surprise me. I agree with you 100%. And this is a scary thing when people are, are coming up with these you know, wonderful ideas of either squeezing, you know, landlords or, or people in the property sector yeah. itself that they, they're not thinking. Well, they're not thinking of the end result. And admittedly, mm-hmm. we sit here recording this, the, the fee ban's not come in yet. It, you know, it's a bit like that fabled B word, Brexit. We don't, don't exactly yeah. know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But many people are saying the same thing is at the end of the day, the tenant's going to be the one losing out one way or another. Oh, absolutely. Because um, people aren't thinking properly. That's it. And I think it's the same with anything. Um, you know it's the same arguably with the the stamp duty and the changes in the um the the tax you know how landlords are taxed on on properties so ultimately the the less viable it is for a landlord or the the higher their costs are that they are going to have to reflect that at the end of the day it isn't a charity that the landlords are running it 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 is a business and there is a cutoff point where it is no longer viable for landlords unless they increase the rents. Um, and, and I think I think likelihood is we'll see that happen. Yeah, completely, completely agree with them. And I suppose at the same time, at the end of the day, no matter what gets thrown, you know, at us, uh, both as you know landlord, landlady, and mm-hmm. you know with the online landlord as well, is that there's always going to be opportunities one way or another. Yeah. 100%, no matter what's thrown mm-hmm. us, whether it's increased stamp duty, you know, it just puts more people off. You, you know, who knows, we can hypothesise it all day long until um, it actually happens and we see what's going to happen. Yeah. We won't know, but it is, it's good to get that perspective of what you're thinking of mm-hmm. possibly doing moving forward. Yeah, and I think probably for myself, it it won't necessarily affect me as much as it, it would some of the other agents, you know, where I've worked previously, the the application fees for tenants are considerably high, you know, then for a couple there might be several hundred pounds and an agent like that, that's going to really affect, you know, that could be somebody's job or it, it, they're going to have to claw it back some way or other. I, I, so yeah, I, I think a slight increase in rent will, will likely be the outcome. No, without a shadow of doubt, from from your point of view as well, you're because of the amount of organic growth that the online landlord mm-hmm. has had and will continue to, to have because you do do a very, very, very good job, your overheads, are, I assume, are relatively low in comparison to some of these massive agencies. Oh, so that, that plays to your, into your hands as well, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. That's it. And, um, you know, we, we don't have a high street office. Um, we're not we're not public facing. People can't wander in off the street and, and speak to us, you know, with, without an appointment. So we're, we're saving quite a lot of, of overheads compared to some of the, you know, the big sort of high street letting agencies or estate agents um so yeah i think we've probably got slightly more room to be squeezed than, than they have um so yeah i think it'll probably impact some of the the bigger agents quite seriously i, I suppose you've only got one way to find out absolutely <laughs> in, in terms in terms of um, lettings then moving forward uh, yeah. what might be quite a good idea is to possibly get together again do another uh, chit chat basically um, more in-depth about finding the, the best lettings agents yeah. or finding, you know, how to build rapport with a lettings agent and so forth. So if that's something yeah. you'd be interested in, we can, we can absolutely. get together and, and do that. Well, that's fantastic. Let's wrap up with a couple of quick-fire questions. Okay. We'd like to get a bit more, you know, information from from people that we're, we're interviewing and talking to. What one piece of advice would you give to someone that is in 
limbo over making a decision? Um, I think probably I, I'm not hugely indecisive person myself. I tend to if I if I'm going to do something, I know straight away if I'm going to do it or not. I would always just think, what what's the worst case scenario? You know, especially if we relate it to buying property and someone's on an hour and about it. What's the worst case? You buy it, you don't let it for a year. Um, can you afford the? I mean, in whole, might be three hundred quid mortgage. Um, probably, if you can't, you might want to question if you maybe should be looking at investing in the first place. Um, so I, I would just say, you know, get cracking. The sooner you get started, the sooner you start making some money from it. <laughs> perfect. That makes perfect sense to me. What's the worst that could happen? Just Absolutely, that's it. Well, that's, that's wonderful. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Oh, um, I think we'd probably both agree I'm terrible at taking advice. <laughs> at... I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be told it about 20 times from 20 different people before I consider it worth listening to. Um, I don't know if it wouldn't I'd necessarily say it's advice, but just the way that um, I've probably been brought up and what I've seen in my family. Generally, people work very hard. Um, so I, I think for me, it's just, just work hard and, and find something you enjoy doing, really. That's no, solid. You're an amazing amount of people that don't enjoy what they do. So very, very productive words, to say the least. We'll flip that on to what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, I don't know if I'd necessarily say it's advice, but possibly the worst sort of, yeah, maybe advice being given is the, the, the thought that property is a passive income um i think probably anybody that's dealt with property would say it's not as passive as maybe people make out you do need to find a you know a good property property sourcer someone to project manage well find a good a good letting agent to manage it um, and even then you've got to engage with those people um it's like any business where you want um you want to, to make money you've got to put time in to get something out and I think yeah people say oh yeah you know you you don't you don't have to do much and you'll make plenty of money and I think probably that's not great advice for people considering investing yes you get this notion that property is completely passive and I think it takes Absolutely. a lot of time to even then you, you know checking up as you say is, is, is important yeah what's your favorite color my favorite color oh good question um Oh gosh, that's the hardest question you've asked so far. Um, probably yellow. I'll go something bright. I wouldn't wear that as a colour though. I mainly wear black. But my favourite colour, yeah, I'm going to go yellow. Black and yellow is a good combination. Yeah, that's true. That's not too bad. <laughs> uh, we'll wrap up with this one. In the last three years, what belief, habit, or behaviour has had the most positive impact on your life? Networking. Um, I know you obviously you did the, the podcast on, on networking and, and covered the benefits of it and, and how to network well and I think that has literally, when I started networking a couple of years ago, that's changed things dramatically for me. Just the contacts that I've had, personal development as well, um, you know, being able to talk to people that, that I don't know, go into a room of people and try and make those connections um, and just the accountability you know the networking groups I go to I, I see the same people week in week out and you know you've got a degree of responsibility to them and everyone puts in time and effort to be there and, and to do the networking so you want to get something out of it and I think that's definitely been probably the most beneficial thing I've done for my business. And when you say networking is that a blend of property networking or generic business networking? It's generic business networking that okay, I do. Cool. It's not specific to property. Um, so some of the best people that I meet at my networking or the networking that I go to are contractors. 
Um, they're absolutely, you know, building those relationships with contractors so that you can bring projects in on time. You've got someone that can help you out in an emergency. Um, you can, you know, you, you know, you're getting good prices on things. It, it, that's that's a great a great way. And also, they meet a lot of landlords, so you know, you can potentially get get decent referrals off off the contractors as well. No, oh, fantastic. Well, Kim, really, thank you very much for your time. I think that's really, really insightful on thank many, many different me. levels. We'll we'll get together and do one specifically on letting agents and so forth. If people want to get hold of you for property management, yes, how do they do that? Um, so they could uh, visit my website, which is www.theonlinelandlord.co.uk. All the information's on there. And there's also a contact form if you wish to contact us through the website. Um, and yeah, mobile number and everything's on there as well. Emails kim at theonlinelandlord.co.uk. Wonderful. Are you active on social media, Facebook, if people want to get hold of you um, Yes, probably not as much so as I ought to be, but yes, on Facebook, you can find us uh, at The Online Landlord on Facebook and also Instagram. Wonderful. That's superb. Thank you very much. Thank you.